Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Kiemfield. I serve on staff here at the church and have the great joy of being the host of this podcast. Here at Deeper Still, we're all about paying attention to what God is doing, what he's doing in our own souls and what he's doing in the world around us as he calls us to go deeper still in relationship with him and with one another. And so as always, no matter where you find yourself on the journey, no matter what kind of day you have had, no matter what life has thrown at you, I'm just so glad that you are here. Before we dive into today's episode, I do want to remind all of the women listening once again to register for If Gathering 2022. If you have not done this yet, my friends, you just need to do it. If Gathering is a two-day women's event that we're going to be hosting right here at our Oak Brook campus on April 29th and 30th that you do not want to miss. We have an incredible lineup of speakers, of worship, uh, amazing food. We have raffles. And it's also just this really fun time to connect with other women, to laugh, and to just kind of be yourselves as you step away from your everyday lives. We will also be collecting uh, feminine products for our local food pantry. That's a huge need for them. And so bring out your donations, do a little bit of good for the world in that. And we'll also have a marketplace where you can do some shopping with a purpose that weekend. So whether you attend Christ Church or you are connected to another church, it doesn't matter. We would love to have you gathered here. So invite your friends, help us spread the word. But most importantly, we need you to register. We got to get those numbers in. So register at christchurch.us forward slash if gathering. Uh, you can go to the women's page of our website as well, but find all the details and just sign up today. Uh, I should also throw out there that college students and high school students, we would love to have you as well. This is for age 14 and up. So don't just think about maybe uh, depending on your age range where you are at in your life, but think about some of those younger women who might need to be invited along as well. Well, today we are pressing pause on our conversation on the book of Ephesians to focus our attention towards Holy Week, this sacred last week of Jesus' life that leads us into his death, his burial, and ultimately his resurrection that we celebrate corporately together uh, on Easter Sunday. We will do that this Sunday, but we're not there yet. And we actually don't want to get there too quickly because we believe in creating the space to reflect on what this week means in a way that will make us be intentional so that when we get to Easter Sunday, it will just feel all that more sweet. It is an absolute privilege today to be joined by the lead pastor of Christ Church, uh, Dr. Reverend Dan Meyer. Dan is going to be sharing just from his heart today about some of his own journey as a pastor, as a Christ follower through Holy Week, through Lent. And just have, he has some special words to share with us to encourage us on how we can hold on to the hope that only a resurrection can bring. So, my friends, wherever you are, whatever you're doing today, whatever space you find yourself in, I hope you'll saddle up, you'll settle in, you'll listen in as Dan and I go deeper still. 
Well, Dan, uh, welcome back to Deeper Still. It is uh, so great to have you here today. Thanks so much for saying yes to this invitation. I've been desperate for things to do, Sue Ann. Thank <laughs> you bet, so much. <laughs> I bet you have. I know how slow your schedule is and uh, you know how much you, you just twiddle your thumbs with open space, wondering what you're going to do each and every day. I've just been waiting. You invited me, I think, on your very first Deeper Still podcast a long, long time ago. I've been hoping you bring me back in spite of my poor performance. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because as I was preparing for our time together, I was kind of reflecting back to that. And um, it was about 18 months ago. And, you know, we started this whole thing as a way to just during the pandemic to yeah. say, how can we be a voice to people? How can we help? How can we expand maybe the way mm. that we communicate? And uh, I was just checking our anchor playlist that kind of our anchor um, platform that kind of says across the spectrum. And we've had uh, 6,500 downloads from wow. that. And that doesn't include the Christchurch website. And I just was reflecting on that and think you were our my very first guest to say, yes, I will do this when we had no idea what we were doing and we're still learning and growing. But I'm just so appreciative to you and who you are, because as the lead pastor of this church, you just say yes to these kinds of opportunities, and that's always a humbling thing. Wow. Well, in all seriousness, this has been an incredible ministry. I have been one of your fans and followers, <laughs> and have enjoyed so much the different folks you've been interviewing over these past months. Uh, well, it's been, selfishly, it's been a lot of fun for me. So it's it's a joy of my job. So uh, I appreciate it. Well, Dan, I mentioned in the introduction that uh, for our episode today, we're, we're pausing our conversation on the book of Ephesians. We've been walking pretty diligently through the book of Ephesians, but I wanted to carve out some space to do this special episode because um, as people are listening, it's Holy Week. And um, Holy Week has been just such a a special and sacred place, not only in the life of this church, but in in lives of believers throughout time. And so uh, I want us to just carve out space for that, to dive into that. We're going to talk about some really, I think, important things that hopefully postures people's hearts towards the cross as we're journeying this week. But first, I have I have something, just a really important question for yeah. you. Yeah. So I'm wondering, because I think, gosh, inquiring minds want to know. Dan Meyer is here. They have a, a, a you know a listening ear. What does the Meyer family do on Easter Sunday? <laughs> what does that look like for you guys? I get up very, very early. <laughs> And uh, honestly, uh, when our boys were young, I would say the the big activity of early that morning was Amy and I putting all of the plastic Easter eggs all around the property. <laughs> and uh, a huge credit, we would the night before, we would pack uh, the eggs with all kinds of chocolates and jelly beans and stuff, and then we'd hide them everywhere. And, and we'd have to learn over time that we needed to hide them places where the dog couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get into them. Uh, so um, I then would rush off to, to the church building for the morning worship services, and Amy would preside over the the rambunctious three three boys as they <laughs> scoured the house for the eggs, uh, and uh, Amy always put together such a wonderful uh, basket. Mm-hmm. Um, as our kids got older, and that became a little bit less of an issue, although they still uh, will will call out, you know, Mom, where's where's the Easter basket when they're home? Uh, you know, we just came to really love a. Um, a celebration event I think you and Eric have been part of over the yes, years. We yeah. went to Glenn and Debbie Johnson's mm-hmm. house very often after the services. Uh, just one of these amazing, uh, gracious, generous couples. And and alongside of a lot of other staff members and friends, we just 
relaxed. You know, there's just this deep tired that all the best kind of tired that happens for people that work in churches on big holiday uh, celebrations. And I would just love the sanctuary of those uh, gatherings. Um, Rack of lamb is one yes. of Amy's specialties. <laughs> yes. And uh, so that still is part of our family uh, mm-hmm. observance during uh, on Easter. And um, uh, this year, we just booked a uh, plan to go out for brunch and hoping a couple of our kids will be home to celebrate with us. Oh, wonderful. It is interesting how it changes over time as families grows and grow and people move away. I know it's funny you mentioned Glenn and Debbie because we were part of that gathering for years. And mm-hmm. Debbie, uh, not only your wife's lamb, but Debbie made these potatoes that were a family recipe that were amazing. Yeah. And I have that recipe and I make it every year for Easter <laughs> as a way to just hold on to a little piece of that time that we experienced Well, together. that's one of the challenges of Easter is to pass the message on, pass the good news that's on. Right. <laughs> maybe not, that's maybe not the most important part of Easter, <laughs> but, but it's worth something. That's right. That's right. Oh, well, I hope you and Amy and the boys and whatever combination that is, just uh, you have a lovely celebration. I know you're working hard on Easter weekend, and I, I know you signed up for that, and you yeah. enjoy that, and that's a joy and a privilege for you, but also just that you get some rest in your own family uh, during that time and as well. I hope that for you guys also. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so, uh, one of the things as we kind of move into this conversation about Lent and about Holy Week, you know, one of the things that I've appreciated so much over the years, the last 16 or 17 years, as Eric and I have made our home at Christ Church, is this intentional focus that this church places um, not only on Holy Week, but mm-hmm. just on the Lenten journey as a whole, because that's not something I've experienced uh, growing up or in other churches that we've been part of. And because Christ Church has been so intentional, Easter and Lent has become uh, such an important part of my faith journey uh, leading up to the resurrection. And so, you know, you have been a pastor for, you're celebrating 25 years, which we are, we're so privileged that you've been at Christ Church. You've been a pastor longer mm-hmm. than that, but here for 25 years, you've been a Christ follower for a long time. And so I'm curious for you, uh, why, what has made the Lenten journey sacred uh, for you personally, as well as why you think it's so important that we as believers practice this season of Lent? Yeah, great question. I think for me, one of the, the traps that I often fall into is a tendency to simply go with the flow of life and get swept along. Mm. Uh, when we lived in Southern California and every day was another beautiful weather day <laughs> and the seasons didn't really change, it was really easy to become pretty insensible to the flow of life. Mm. And that's why I think I've come over the years to really appreciate the, the Christian seasons, the, the sacred seasons that, that the faith tradition has marked out to to really become more reflective about life. And Lent is certainly one of these amazing periods of time when we're sort of called out of the normal routine, or at least to step back and think about uh, the normal routine. Uh, I would think there's a couple of particular parts of the Lenten uh, experience that have been meaningful to me. One is uh, just the very start of it that happens on Ash Wednesday with the, um, the imposition of ashes and that ancient recitation Dust thou art, and to mm. dust thou shalt return. Uh, and I remember this year especially because you helped me with that. You were the one that put an extra gob of ashes on <laughs> I my did. Head. I'm very generous with my ashes. <laughs> <laughs> I was shedding ashes Sorry. everywhere I went <laughs> for hours. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, boy, what a powerful statement mm. that is, um, that dust we are 
and to dust we will return. Um, I, um, I spend most of my time thinking I am Dan and, and very little of my time thinking that I'm, that I'm dust, that I, that I wasn't always here, mm. uh, that I won't always be here on earth. And there's something profoundly helpful, even if, even if a bit sobering, to, to really take in the meaning of those words that I'm dust that God gathered together in his hands and formed life out of, and one day this body that I have uh, will, go, will go back um, to dust. Um, I think that, um, I, I think back to an experience I had on uh, 7 7 11, uh, July the 7th, 2011. And I had had a heart attack, and I was only 52 years old, and I was lying in the Hinsdale Hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was late at night, and, and they, nobody was visiting. It was just, just me alone with the beeping of the machines and uh, the quiet in the room. And I just lay there in the bed thinking, I, I don't know how much longer I have to live. Um, I, I, I'm not actually necessary <laughs> to this world. And, and there followed thereafter just such a powerful sense of the grace of every breath and every moment, mm-hmm. um, of the ability to hear the beeping of the machines. You know? And I thought, oh, how do I go through so much of my life insensible to the gift that, that I have? And the preciousness of every conversation and every opportunity. So, the the Lenten season just begins with this incredible reminder that life is precious, mm-hmm. that um, that we're dependent creatures, that that we ought to be thinking more about uh, the journey. And then I, I would say that for me, the second really big um, element is is that intentional process of journeying to the cross. Uh, I know that Lent can come to be about all kinds of other um, practices, and I'm hopefully we'll get around to talking about some of that. But, but for me, um, so much of um, my faith can become over time uh, one of my addition strategies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I've been enculturated, maybe all of us have, uh, to, to think of our lives in terms of adding, of, of accumulating, of consuming, of building. Uh, and and so much of the journey through life is this kind of climb and this increasing storage of experiences and possessions and accolades and relationships, um, and and when I think about the the journey to the cross, it it strikes me that that is a movement in just the opposite direction. Um, if the typical human vector is to sort of move towards greater success, greater significance in various ways. The journey that Jesus takes to the cross is, is a journey of surrender, mm-hmm. of, of, of letting go of so much of what is normally thought of as the mark of success and, and significance. And so I think of just Holy Week, and this week we're in right now, and, and what it means um, to start with Jesus at this moment of triumphal entry as he comes through the gates on Palm Sunday and he's enjoying the incredible accolades of the crowd and the adoration of, of, of his disciples and of strangers alike. And then we just watch as, as Jesus surrenders 
the support of the crowd mm-hmm. as the hosannas fade away. Uh, we we watch as the, the the loyal disciples melt away, afraid for their own lives and reputations. We see him lose the clothes on his back. We watch him surrender the flesh from his frame and finally give up even his his lifeblood and his mm-hmm. his breath. Mm-hmm. It's this amazing act of of releasing so much of what we think of in terms of security and success and significance. And, and in, this, um, in this movement that Jesus makes, that, you know, there's just this incredible paradox in my mind because if there was ever a life that was worthy of being deemed successful and significant and, and having control and, and, and owning things and commanding things, uh, it would be the life of Jesus, the, the ultimate king, and yet he chooses mm-hmm. to voluntarily surrender so much of this in service to um, his father's will and his desire to be a blessing and to and to win forgiveness for uh, for for people who who even the people trying to to do him such harm and and strangely. It's in this moment when he is apparently uh, losing everything uh, for himself that he actually gains everything for you and me. Mm-hmm. And, and in the process of, of, his, of his dying is raised to eternal life and, and in becoming, in the eyes of the world, the very lowest and last, he, he actually is becoming the very highest and the very first, the name, the name above all names, and um, and that affects me mm. when I really sit with that movement um, of that Jesus chose. Um, it 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 does something in my own heart, and I I think I become just a bit less afraid to sacrifice, uh, a li- a bit less um, needful of of winning in all of the classic ways, um, more ready, I guess, to. S- to suffer in the much smaller ways that that life brings me suffering, and I start thinking that that maybe dying to pride in my marriage or control in my workplace uh, isn't a losing proposition, but perhaps a pathway for for more of us to win. I don't know. That's the journey of the toward the cross for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm struck as I'm listening to you too that that Jesus losing himself was a very physical act too. It, mm. it wasn't just him surrendering um, his identity, uh, surrendering who he was. There were there were vis- very physical ways yep. that he surrendered himself, and I think that's one of the the pieces of Lent that is so powerful because we could just make Lent about the intellectual. You know, some of the things you described are. are wonderful things to uh, posture our hearts towards during Lent to say, I'm going to, I need to be less prideful. I need to be less of kind of these things in my life where I take up too much space and I'm going to be, I'm going to be more in tune and intentional about that. But there are also some, some real physical ways during the season of Lent that connect these dots for us. And I'm I'm wondering what some of those practices are for you to take it a step further. Yeah. That, that reminds us that we're embodied creatures and, and that Jesus was, was a man on this earth at the same time he was God. I love that. Yeah, you know, we've been talking a lot during this Lenten series about this idea of, 
of less of me in this regard and more of him. So, you know, one of my ways of, of filling in the blanks in that, in that couplet has been, uh, you know, less of my grip, more of his grace mm. has been one of my re- kind of breath prayers. Mm. <laughs> less of my grip, my white-knuckled grip on things, and more of the trusting of his grace. And so there have been a couple of, of spiritual practices that I've undertaken during this particular Lenten season. Um, one has been a process of fasting for, um, in, a, in a regular way. Uh, for me, that's been, over the years, one of the keystone practices in my life. I feel like a lot of my days are, are driven by uh, my sort of unconscious, impulsive responses to my various hungers, my various appetites, mm-hmm. my need to have my opinion heard, <laughs> Uh, my need to have my immediate bodily uh, hungers uh, satisfied. Uh, and so fasting, the, just deliberately foregoing something important to us or something that we would have gone to to fill us up has been a, an important way in which I have um, learned to distinguish myself from the bodily and psychological urges that that often run me. Mm-hmm. And I find that, uh, so for me, one of the fasting practices of this season is has, I've, I've let go of alcohol. Mm-hmm. I've had just none of that. And uh, just confessing boldly <laughs> to, <laughs> to a dear friend and, and to uh, her listeners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially I would say during COVID, mm-hmm. that became a much more regular part of my life. Yeah. And, and I began to say, you know, this has become now an automatic Mm-hmm. instead of a choice, and a considered choice. And so stepping away from that and, and learning to um, recognize the pangs of desire mm-hmm. and then say, I don't have to have those own me, then creates greater freedom in all kinds of other areas of my life, not to be owned by my impulsivity. Yes. My urges. Does that make any yes, sense? Yes, it does. You know, one of I I also have taken up fasting uh, over the years as part of my Lenten journey, and so I fast every Wednesday. It's just I start on Ash Wednesday and I f- finish on Good Friday as my last one. It's great. It, it is amazing to me that um, how often, <laughs> you know, just those rumblings in your stomach or those, and how often we reach to feed our own desires. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just our it's our human instinct that I want it and therefore I'm going to give it. So to, to deny ourselves of those things. Even in these small ways, it's just it, it just is that reminder of how often we don't deny ourselves. Yeah, it's true, mm-hmm. and I think we do. We get confused even about what ourselves are, mm-hmm. because we can come to think that these these um, impulses are ourself. And I think Jesus is always calling us to to recognize that there's a deeper kind of self mm-hmm. that that actually can command yeah. the 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 flesh versus mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. So that's been really helpful to me. The other one for me uh, is um, is a prayer discipline, an odd prayer discipline that I associate with running. <laughs> is your prayer, oh, oh God, please Make let this end. be over soon? <laughs> <laughs> I can't deny that 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 doesn't come up <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but back uh, in the season where I was running the Chicago Marathon with World Team World Vision, and I know we've got a bunch of our mm-hmm. uh, folks in our church and other churches that are doing that now, uh, tr- preparing to train for the next one of those uh, those commitments. 
I just found that my prayer life improved. That 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 the process of mm-hmm. again letting go of the of the of the electronics and of the other distractions and simply uh, the rhythm of running uh, somehow frees the, the the mind and the soul to and brings to mind at least for me the names of people, uh, the needs of people, uh, and and in the process of of that, I just feel like I've I've prayed. I've just enjoyed some really significant times of prayer. Mm-hmm. When I when I've been able to run outdoors, um, I, I I often will um, pray for the people in houses as I go by. I, I will see signs of of people in um, businesses that I that I know of, and I'll pray for those those businesses and those people. Uh, you you know Mike McCurry, a mm-hmm. real estate agent. He's got a lot of signs out he there. He does have a lot. Of I, signs. I said, Mike, you are the most prayed for <laughs> real estate agent in the in the Western Burbs. Uh, that's awesome. So running running has been strangely a prayer discipline for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. You're reminding me uh, maybe next year for my Lenten journey because I'm I'm so obsessed with my AirPods. I just <laughs> I can't do anything without throwing my AirPods in, and maybe I need to go for some walks uh, and instead of listening. Uh, uh, praying instead and listening through prayer. That's good stuff. That's so, marvelous. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Those are some great um, tangible things that we can hold on to, is, especially for people listening who maybe have never um, d- you know, done an intentional practice for Lent. Maybe yeah. just some helpful ways of how they might incorporate that. If it's too late this year, maybe next year they'll yeah, grab onto that. Absolutely. I even throw out a quick idea, even for people that, that the notion of, of – Owning athletic shoes is a terrible idea because they might be tempted to run. Uh, <laughs> the experience of just walking mm-hmm. intentionally is yeah. an incredibly powerful one. And I think I've shared with you that mm-hmm. one of the influential books of, of this past year for me was uh, a book called God Walk mm-hmm. that, uh, by Mark Buchanan, mm-hmm. who wrote one of the most powerful books on Sabbath I've ever read called oh, The so Rest good. of God. One of my favorites. But but this new book he has out now on just the value of walking mm. and all that that does for the soul uh, mm. is really worth uh, any of your listeners oh, uh, checking that. out. Right. And I've gotten the audio version of okay. it and so that I go I go walking yes. and I listen to the book and I, I and I just meditate on it. Yeah. I'm putting that on my list. Good. Thank you. Thanks Good. for sharing that. Uh, Dan, you know, another way that we have been uh, preparing for Easter Sunday is this Lenten sermon series that we've been doing called No Wonder They Crucified Him. And I have to tell you, I think it's one of the most brilliant titles that we have had as a sermon series because it's stuck with me that hmm. every week that it, it has challenged me to go beyond uh, maybe some of the uh, gospel, you know, some of the vignettes we read in the gospel and think, okay, I know this story or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of get what's going on here. But to then link that, take it another step further and say, ah, ah, ah they didn't just... They didn't just ignore Jesus. They didn't just, you know, say this was okay. They didn't just pacify him. They they actually crucified him. Yeah. And I'm wondering, uh, share with us where the inspiration for that series came from and why you think it's such an important message for us today. Yeah, you know, the, the title itself is not native to me. I think I've heard it somewhere along through the years. There may be even books mm. out there on the subject. But I think what, what attracted me to it was... Um, it just it helps solve a puzzle that should I guess be there for all of us. We, you know, Jesus enjoys um, such a generally good reputation in the wider world. The church sometimes doesn't enjoy that reputation. <laughs> Some of the people associated with Jesus can sometimes uh, rub others the wrong way. But but people are very attracted to Jesus, and 
when you'll hear people talk about Jesus, very often they, they'll focus on how loving he was, uh, what a great healer he was, how brilliant his ethical teachings were, and, and all of that is really true. Uh, but you don't get killed for that, mm. you know? You don't mm-hmm. get killed for being the most loving, healing, <laughs> thoughtful person in the room. That's right. <laughs> and, and so what is it? Why would, would the hearts of people turn so hard towards him? And uh, it really boils down, I think, to the very provocative things that he said. Um, Jesus was, uh, Jesus loved people enough and wanted to heal us and human society um, at such a core level that he was willing to name a lot of the deep lies, the 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 strongholds, the spiritual um, prisons. Mm-hmm that exist in people, uh, that get validated by society. Um, he was willing to say the really hard things. In fact, this whole series is built around what uh, biblical uh, New Testament scholars have traditionally called the hard sayings of Jesus. Like, you know, it's easier for a, uh, for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man. Mm-hmm. Right? You shouldn't even look with... Uh, with any kind of lustful thought on another human being, you know, very, very challenging things that we that meet all of us someplace. Mm-hmm. And I think that that in in addressing these really vulnerable, deep places in the human heart, Jesus is trying to bring about fundamental core transformation or turning of our attitudes, our ways of being in the world, that without which we can't. We really can't have life in all of its fullness. Mm-hmm. And I think in the church especially, maybe just because we get so familiar with Jesus, we can begin to, to domesticate um, him in our minds. Uh, he, he, he no longer is the person that really shakes us up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one that just wants to do a little fine-tuning of our lives. He wants a little, maybe, maybe need a little cosmetic surgery. <laughs> but... But the reality is that most of us, what, what we need most is somebody who loves us enough to really shake us by the lapels and say, what are you doing? Mm. Um, you know, turn. That, that word repentance yeah. is, is rarely mentioned in churches these days. And, and, it, and it was a, a call to a radical turning of your heart. And, and the hard sayings of Jesus are aimed at that. Not, not to hurt us, mm-hmm. but actually to, to free us. Yes. Uh, so I've loved this series mm-hmm. because of, of just being able to re-encounter this stuff for myself. Yeah, it's like you shared earlier about living in sunny California and every day's sunny and every day's beautiful. And if there's nothing to jar you out of that, if yeah. there's nothing to show you the seasons change and we need to think a different way, then yeah. you just live in that place of yeah. not, you know, not thinking deeply about these things. And I think if there's one things we one thing we learn about the scriptures, if there's one thing we see in the life of Jesus, I mean, he's consistently challenging people to think. Yeah. Think more deeply to to think about the life that they've been living and how it needs to be different because of the way of life that he calls them into. Yep. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. You often find people, you know, on their deathbed, um, or or prior to that. Um, you and I were chatting earlier today about a uh, someone that um, in our wider uh, community who's going through uh, just a terrible time of of grief and loss and struggle. And very often it's when we've got 
you know, we've, we've lost our job or we've seen the death of a loved one or we've been given a diagnosis of some kind that's very scary. It's only then that we stop and really evaluate what matters most. Mm-hmm. It's when we're lying in that hospital bed like I was describing mm-hmm. and listening to the beeping sounds mm-hmm. that we see things clearly. Mm-hmm. Jesus wants to grab us in the middle of life long before those things happen and help us think differently, more creatively about what life can be. Yeah, as a way to bring freedom and grace. The message you gave last Sunday about just grace and we're loved unconditionally, but there's this grace that that invites us into this concert, but we have to accept the ticket, we have to get there, and we have to become part of it. And so it's just such a beautiful part of all of this. Yeah. Yeah, and what Jesus invites us into as we journey towards the cross. Amen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Dan, when we when we you know we're talking uh, during Holy Week, and um, so many things happen in the life of Jesus in in the last week of his life. I mean, I, I've been reading through the Book of Mark, and and Mark is you know the shortest gospel. It's this gospel that has this urgency to it. You know, there's um, Mark doesn't mince words. He he says everything pretty succinctly. And so, as I was reading through the Book of Mark, and you get to the last week of Jesus' life, it's like you can feel the tension building with the pace of of things that happen. And you already mentioned the triumphal entry and Palm Sunday, him turning over the tables. You know, he predicts his own death. He predicts the the destruction of the temple. He has this um, beautiful moment that actually Bill Scheel was here last year with me during this week. And we talked about this beautiful moment in Mark 14 when when this woman comes in and anoints Jesus' feet. Mm. And so in the midst of the tension, there's also these very intimate, loving moments that he experiences with people. We see Jude Judas sneaking off to make a deal mm-hmm. with the chief priests. We see the Last Supper. We see Peter, you know, Peter's denial. We have the Garden of Gethsemane. We have the trial. I mean, there's just so many things that happen. Yeah. And, and it's, it's sometimes interesting to take a step back and say, wow, okay, this, this all happened in a short period of time. This is all really important things yes. <laughs> to kind of sit with. Uh, and I'm wondering for you, as you process all of that, are there a couple of things that just maybe traditionally stand out to you every Easter, those kind of perennial stories, you know, perennial moments that just say, you always come back to this piece of Holy Week that you hold on to, or maybe are there, is there a fresh thing this year um, that has bubbled up for you that say, wow, you know, as we were just saying, Jesus consistently challenges us. What, how do you take all that in in Holy Week? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that, um, so I want to actually hit that from two angles. One, just to observe that I think one of the stories that always grabs me during Holy Week perennially is the, the washing of the feet of the disciples mm-hmm. and the notion that, that Jesus, who is this, um, really the King of Kings, this amazing, pure being, mm-hmm. uh, stoops to take the lowest servant position in the house and um, to wash the feet of his disciples and then calls his disciples to go and do likewise. Um, I heard the president of Princeton Seminary make the argument that in the Protestant tradition there there are only two sacraments. There's the sacrament of Holy Communion and the sacrament of baptism. He said, based on biblical evidence, there ought to be a third. Mm. And, and And he called it the sacrament of ministry because Jesus, just as he said, go and baptize and do this in remembrance of me, he also said to people, wash each other's feet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we found that distasteful, so <laughs> many, many of us have, have avoided it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I've appreciate every year the call to remember that, that the heart of the Christian life is that of humble servanthood, and Jesus modeled it for us. What ambushed me mm-hmm. this year 
was the part of the story in which that's the lead up to that particular moment. And it gets recorded in John chapter 13. And I can't remember the exact words of the scripture text, but um, readers or listeners can go back and perhaps look at that text for themselves. But it's something to the effect of knowing he was returning to the Father, Mm. Jesus took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist Mm. and stooped. And, and what hit me about that this year was that this closing moment in the public ministry of Jesus was an echo of the opening moment of Jesus' ministry mm-hmm. when he heard the Father speaking to him at his baptism, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what hit me this year was that everything that Jesus did, uh, all of the difficult things that Jesus did, Uh, standing up to the people that were tearing him down, um, confronting the abuses that he'd seen in religion, uh, defending people who were vulnerable, risking being, you know, having stones thrown at him when he stood between the the crowd and the the woman that had been uh, caught. Um, You know, all of these things were things he did because he had this this identity. He knew who he was. Mm He knew he belonged to the Father. He knew he had, he had the Father's unconditional love. He knew he was returning to the Father. And it was that fundamental understanding that gave him what he needed to do the difficult mm. things. He knew he wasn't losing anything of his stature by stooping to serve. Mm. Uh, and, and he could even face the cross because of that confidence that, that he, wa- he belonged to the Father and would be with the Father. Uh, again, that was powerful for me, mm-hmm. because I think the more and more I can root my identity in the Father's love, uh, the less I'm going to be prone to being taken down mm-hmm. by the painful experiences of this life that are uh, that, that try and suggest that I'm not worth something, mm-hmm. or that uh, or that it, this is the end for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if anybody else listening in is is aware of places in their life where. Um, they feel severely challenged. I just wonder if remembering how beloved you are yes. and where you can ultimately go by his grace can't, can be an encouragement to them. Yeah, amen. And you know, what you probably don't know is as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, mm-hmm. we keep coming back to this idea of identity because Paul just, I mean, he's hammering at home that everything, everything that we do is based on, do we know who we are mm-hmm. as a beloved child of God? Mm-hmm. You know, and everything is rooted in our identity. And so often we want to jump to, how do I live? Yeah. And not that that's not important. It absolutely is important, but it's it's only comes out of a place of knowing your identity. And I think that's a place that you just have to, or we just have to keep returning to yes. again and again yeah. and again. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many other voices in our lives that are trying to establish our identity in different ways. Yeah. You know, rooted it in other things. Yeah. 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 And it's so easy to listen to them. It is. <laughs> They're so enticing. Yeah. And they, a lot they, of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so coming back to this story every year, coming back to the Easter story, journeying through Lent in a way that reminds us of all of these things is Again, this just points to another reason I think that's so important to be intentional about this season that we're in right now. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dan, the last couple of years uh, have been hard. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've heard they've been. Have you yeah. heard? I've read, read about that. Yeah. About that. 
the last couple of years have been a little challenging. And, you know, I, I'm thinking through one of the other interesting things is, you know, these last few days then of Jesus' uh, life that we're, you know, we, we start with the washing of the disciples' feet. We're in the Last Supper with Monday, Thursday, and then we have Good Friday. Yeah. And then we have this day that's just silent mm-hmm. where people are waiting, where they don't know what's going to happen. And then we have Sunday and the women going to the tomb and, and celebrating the yeah. joy of the resurrection. And I would imagine for some people, they've experienced all of these things mm. as, as we have walked through these two years. And maybe they're experiencing these things in different ways right now, yeah. right now right. in their lives. And I was thinking, you know, some people maybe feel like, Good Friday is just not ending, you yeah. know, that, that we are in this perpetual state of, of Good Friday, or maybe some people feel like they're sitting in the silence of Saturday. They're in this in-between space, and, and maybe mm. they've gone through something really hard, and they're waiting for resurrection mm. to come. They're waiting for the hope of Easter Sunday, but yet they're just in the space of waiting, mm. and nothing's happening. They don't know what to do with it, and and I'm just mindful of, of kind of how we're overlaying this this place we're at in our culture with Easter Sunday, with Good Friday this year. And I'm wondering is is people are maybe sitting in those different spaces. Yeah. How do we how do we remind them <laughs> that resurrection is coming? Yeah. And I'm gonna ask that to you in two different ways. In okay. fact, first I'm gonna ask you one question. For you, what what keeps you believing? I'm sure you've been in all those spaces. What keeps you believing year after year, day after day, in the hope of the resurrection story? Yeah. Wow, boy, that's a that's a deep one. Um, you know, I would say that at the most basic level, um, I believe in resurrection in the broadest sense of of renewal, redemption, recovery uh, for all of us who put our trust in Christ for the ultimate victory of God's good purposes mm-hmm. in the midst of all that just seems so bad. In this, I just think about what it is like for the people in Ukraine right now and so many other parts of our world. Uh, they're living in, at Good Friday, mm-hmm. you know, at, at Holy Saturday at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but I believe in that in that broader experience of resurrection because of the very particular thing that happened on Easter morning. Mm-hmm. And and I root my hope not just in a in a in a generalized sense that it's gonna all turn out okay. I root my hope first and foremost in what actually happened that mm-hmm. morning. So Christians, as you as as you know, have have really drawn their confidence in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from these four facts. You know, the the women went to the tomb and they found that the body was gone, the stone had been rolled away, and that the body was gone, and the body was never recovered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the authorities that wanted to disprove the resurrection of Jesus could all they had to do was produce the corpse, mm-hmm. and they could have put to a lie. The whole thing. Um, they the stone itself was it was amazing that the stone was rolled away when when there were armed guards whose whose very lives depended upon them keeping the tomb sealed and yet uh, the body was gone. That's fact one. Fact two: Peter and John went there and found that the grave clothes were undisturbed. And if you go back and you read the account in John's gospel, what it sounds like 
is that, that they encountered grave clothes lying on the slab where Jesus had been. And it was, you know, people were mummified, in effect, in those days. And they, they wrapped fabric around the body and put spices in the, in the cloth. And they found that, that, um, that cocoon of sorts lying right where it would have normally been. And the, the separate head cloth that wrapped around the, the, the skull of Jesus also lying in its place. And, and you get this very strong sense that it's like a body had dematerialized through, through the fabric. It was the fact of the way the grave clothes were laid there. It was not like somebody got out, ran away, and then stripped them off and threw them in the bush. It, it, something had happened that was just very dramatic right within that tomb. Thirdly, um, Jesus was seen, and, you know, not just of course, most famously by Mary, but, but the scriptures go on to say by more than 500 people in various times and places and emotional states had these, these life-changing encounters with the risen Jesus. Uh, people who weren't expecting to see <laughs> Jesus ever again suddenly being confronted by, by Jesus. And, and then finally, the fourth major fact is that these disciples who had been cowering for fear of their lives suddenly became these courageous witnesses you know, that would prefer to, to die as martyrs themselves than, than to deny that Jesus had been raised. And we forget that the message of the early church wasn't, um, hey, follow Jesus because he was a great guy, mm-hmm. or follow Jesus because he, you know, he's, his ethical teaching will help you live a, a slightly more, a nicer life. You know, their, their message was follow him because he's the Lord of all life, because he was raised from the dead. So, so that promise, that, that's, that's not only a, an actual fact, it's a promise to us because Jesus says, uh, as, as I have been raised, so, so you shall also be raised. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whosoever lives and believes in me, so shall they live again even though they die. And so I put a lot of hope that this universe is governed by this great, good God. God's so good that he would give his very life for enemies upon a cross. Uh, But what gets me really excited is just the evidence he gave that he has power over the thing that most of us fear most, and that's our our physical death. And um, so a lot of my conviction, you know, rests on that. Um, I would say that as as a young skeptic, um, and there was a season of life when I didn't believe any of this stuff. I had to go on a research journey to, to figure this stuff out. Uh, I came to be convinced that, um, that there was no other reasonable explanation for the faith and the, and the practices of the early church except uh, these four facts coming together in the, in the resurrection of Jesus. And... Uh, I will tell you that there have been other evidences for me that have kept me believing through the years. Mm-hmm. In, in dark, dark, confusing moments of my life, I have felt a presence with me that I could not explain, but just I sensed was the presence of Jesus. I have, I have had words come into my, into my head and that I felt were not of me, that were just what I needed in those particular moments. Um, I have watched Jesus change my own character. Uh, I, I just, 
I know I've got a long way to go, um, but I will say that he has, he has, I'm not the person I was. And, and I know that's because of, of someone acting on me uh, in, in much more creative ways than I could compel in myself. Uh, I have known so many people who have, who in moments of despair have been raised beyond the divorce or the death or the collapse of some circumstances because there was a lifting power that, that met them. And they recognized mm -hmm. that power and, and named him um, Jesus. And I think these are, are, in a sense, four tidings of that great resurrection mm -hmm. to come when Jesus makes everything new. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's striking me that was so beautifully said, both in what we can trust in in the Word and the evidence mm. that has been given to us, as well as how Jesus, the God of the universe, interacts in our own lives. He's so personal in that way. And yeah. as, as you're sharing this, I'm just reminded that, um, you know, resurrection is not something we wait for mm. always. Resurrection is, is the power that lives within us now. We don't have to wait for that. Resurrection, it did happen. He is not here. It, yes. And, and the hope that that brings, that it's not just hope we're waiting for when we die. Yeah that it's hope that we can live with now in the present moment. Yeah, it's like we were talking this past weekend about grace is not just a, a ticket to heaven. Mm -hmm. Grace is life in the concert that begins right now. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Dan, just uh, we're about out of time. And so just one, one final question for you as you think about people listening who – just are in that space in their life and they desperately need it to be reminded. They're struggling to believe. They're struggling to grab onto this hope. They want to, but they're they're just not sure. And maybe they're even looking at, you know, thinking about coming to church this coming Sunday mm -hmm. and thinking, I just don't know. I don't know I don't know if I can get there. I don't know if I can do it. What what would you say to someone very specifically who just needs to be reminded, who's struggling to believe and needs to be reminded that there is space at the table and that they, yeah. they can come. Yeah, I just I do hope that, that some of the folks listening to this will show up. Mm -hmm. I you know, find a church someplace. Um, we're gonna actually talk directly about this subject on Easter morning here. The sermon title is Hope Springs Eternal. Mm -hmm. And I and I I would say to those who are really struggling to believe or going through times that those dark times that you were describing earlier, um, I would say first and foremost, um, I honor and respect you for for being in that place, for feeling those those things. That, in my view, does not uh, make you a an, an oddity. It makes it actually puts you right in the center <laughs> of the whole. Holy Week story, right? This is why he came. It's for people like like you who are going through difficult times. And I would just say, you know, share your story uh, with with the community of faith. Talk to a pastor. Confide what's going on for you with somebody uh, who follows Jesus, and and trust them, and know that you that you're not alone, mm -hmm. and that um, uh, we will go with you. I heard. Uh, someone shared with me recently uh, the, that he received the lesson that when you're when you're walking through hell, keep walking, <laughs> keep keep walking. And I will say that you know a, a healthy church is going to be a place where people will walk with you through 
these difficult times. And uh, sometimes it's only in that long journeying that we find ourselves. You don't even all have to have you know, a faith. You don't even have to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, just lean on somebody who has faith. Let them have faith in Jesus. That will be enough for now. Uh, just just know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, secondly, that that what you may be feeling right now is the natural chill or the challenge of life uh, that comes for any of us who are still living inside what Christian author C.S. Lewis calls the shadow lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Lewis was convinced that um, that we were living in a season of history, and, and just the nature of human life was that that we were under the shadow of the power of death, um, but that death had ultimately been defeated, and that there was a new morning coming. And I believe with all my heart, a new morning is coming, and and it and it's like. You know, when we wake up tossing and turning in the night, it can be hard to wait for that morning. But the resurrection of Jesus shows us there is a light for life. Mm-hmm. There is a power for renewal that is unstoppable. And there is going to come a day when you will not be in hell. <laughs> you will find yourself standing in the sunshine mm-hmm. and feeling the warmth of God's grace and goodness on your face again. And uh, as you look toward that day, um, we in, in the life of the local church, wherever you find that, will be just so honored to companion you. Amen. Well, Dan, I can't imagine a better word to end this episode on. And so thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for serving your local church. Thank you for being our pastor, our friend, our our fellow um, journeyer, our, our fellow Christ follower on the journey who's just holding on with the rest of us to the hope of the resurrection. Yeah. So thank you so much Thanks, for so being man. here with us today. It's such a privilege. Have me back again. <laughs> I definitely will. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Well, friends, I don't think there's a single thing that I can add on to the end of that conversation that is going to be more impactful, more encouraging, more inspiring than how we just ended. So I'm just going to leave it there. I I do just want to say I so appreciate Dan, his wisdom, um, his heart for the gospel. Uh, I just am so thankful to be serving alongside of him and under his leadership. And I know there's so many of you who call Christ Church home that are grateful for him as well. And so I do hope you'll reach out to Dan, just encourage him, let him know what this episode is meant to you, maybe how it impacted your own journey, or better yet, share it with someone who needs to hear the light and the grace and the hope that Jesus offers today. If you are looking for a place to worship this Holy Week, I do hope you'll join us uh, for a variety of things that we are offering as we enter this sacred space together, beginning with our candlelight Good Friday service at 7 p.m. in our Oak Brook Sanctuary. Uh, And then, of course, we have Easter services throughout the weekend, beginning on our Oak Brook campus on Saturday at 4 p.m. We actually will have an Easter egg hunt for the kiddos, I believe, at 2.30 p.m. And then we'll go into worship after that. And then, of course, we will gather on Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We have both classic and contemporary services. We also have a service at 10 a.m. at our Butterfield campus. We'd love for you to join us there as well. And, of course, we'll be live streaming all of the services so you can join us online if you aren't able to come in person but you can find all of that information uh, about holy week at christchurch.us forward slash 
Holy Week. Um, until then, my friends, I do hope you have a great day. I hope you continue this journey together uh, towards Resurrection Sunday. And of course, don't forget this Holy Week to pay attention. My friends, maybe this week more than ever, pay attention to how God might be calling you to go deeper still. <laughs>